like as you said earlier sometimes it's hard to get veterans to talk about stuff you know and we're veterans and we're the ones that are, we'd be the easiest people to, to talk to about things but yeah, i mean another yeah. bet come on exactly oh here we go again well hey everybody here we are again yeah i guess we'll do it again Sometimes I wonder, sometimes Sam, he, he makes me, he makes me think that maybe uh, this is it. Dan, you know, he'll go days without talking and I'm wondering, is the podcast over with? And then, <laughs> you know, interview day comes around and here we are. It's your two dads. It's Sam, it's Dan, it's me. Yeah, I said you're two, but it's, it's everybody. We've also got a great guest here. His name is Paul Bright. He's a certified sleep science coach an Air Force veteran and a foodie. And yes. he uh, comes from the same state. It's Ric Flair, and that's pretty much all I need to say Woo! about that. I'm sure everybody gets that. <laughs> Paul, we uh, appreciate you coming on here so much. Uh, like I said earlier, we are uh, in the midst of a course of interviews with veteran dads or veteran adjacent, uh, trying to get their lives and, and wisdom and uh, their points of view, and we appreciate you coming on here. Thank and, you for uh, having uh, me. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about you. All right. I am Paul Bright, uh, certified sleep science coach, something I came about uh, long ways um, after it was actually that uh, we were just talking earlier before recording about uh, a deployment I was on and that is where my sleep issues started and persisted you know there's there's a bigger story to that but just for that part of the introduction yes I am in North Carolina now uh, this was I'm a military dependent as well and Pope Air Force Base was the last stop uh, in 87 so I've been there went through junior high, high school, undergrad, and then joined the Air Force after undergrad thinking, I'm going to get away. I want to go and see the world and ended up stationed in Charleston, South Carolina, a whole three hours away. Mm-hmm. And um, But because I was a jet engine mechanic on the C-17 cargo plane, um, I did get to see the world. I did get to see a lot of cool places. And so that's what I did for 10 years in the Air Force. Uh, finished my service at Travis Air Force Base, uh, separated so I could go to grad school. Um, ended up going to grad school for counseling, ended up getting another master's in uh, organizational leadership. Spent a good 16 years in near the Bay Area and then eventually moved back to North Carolina about two years ago. So that's the short end. Right on. Uh, quite a bit of interesting stuff there that we might be able to pick mm. at. I, I was wondering, just first off, uh, as far as your Air Force career, were you enlisted or were you officer? I was enlisted. Okay. I didn't know, uh, ha- having gone through school, which one that would be. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, always I wondered uh, if I had it in me to go back in after going to school, but it just never seemed like, you know, in the cards for me for various reasons. But we, uh, once again, thank you for coming on. And uh, like mm-hmm. I said, a lot to get into here, as I always do in these uh, sorts of situations. I like to take my time. I like to develop my questions and gather my thoughts and make Dan talk first. So Dan, what do you got? What do you want to throw at our, our guest here to open up the game? Right on. Um, I was just curious. Um, do you come from a, like as a kid were your parents, any, either one in the military, or is that something you did, um, on your, on your own? Like you, you know, you saw like an ad or something and you were like, yeah, that's, that sounds like that's for me. Good question. Yeah. So my dad was also in the Air Force. Um, He was really not the reason I ended up joining. Um, It was 
it just kind of came roundabout because I was I went to undergrad and everything, and I was like, all right, maybe I can go, you know, I can go mess around. And I went and lived in Myrtle Beach for a while and decided, you know what, if I don't get out of this town, because it's different from vacationing there, I said I'm going to get in trouble, so I need to go <laughs> do something with my life. And I was like, maybe I can go be an officer. Um, but they were only taking like nurses and pilots at the time. I was like, well, I don't even care about that. I'll just go, you know, enlisted. So he was surprised that I joined. Um, but yeah, my dad was in the Air Force. Um, he was stationed at Clark Air Base uh, a couple of times in the Philippines. So that's where I spent most of my childhood was in the Philippines. But he was a he was also a jet engine mechanic, but he was props for C-130s. So we lived at Little Rock for a few years. Um, he got a testing job over at Edwards Air Force Base, so I was there for a year, and then you know ended up at Pope. Uh, his stepfather was also in the Air Force, and um, his biological father was in the Army. So we came from a line of military, and, and again, it was not not my original cards, but ended up being in my cards anyway, and it was great. So nice. Um, my dad was uh, is a vet. He was in the Army. He was also stationed in Germany, but it was in the eighties. Um, and he didn't, he didn't push me. He, he said, that's, that's a path you can take. It's, it's rough. You know, it's there. They don't take no shit. They, you know, yeah. whatever he explained <laughs> it to me as, as I was a kid at that point, I wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. of age to join or enlist or anything, but, um, he didn't push me. He, he let me make my own decision. I did not serve, but I have tremendous respect for the military. I'm one of those people that will go, if I see him at Walmart or at the store, I'll go up to him and say, thank you, you know, for your service and your sacrifice for me and my family. And, um, but yeah. Um, so I, I have, uh, these two are, are vets. I'm not, I, I just come from a, a military home. Okay. Um, so, uh, my dad wasn't really, um, the strict, like quote unquote drill sergeant dad. Like he was kind of chill. I was wondering if, if you had any experience with that, with your, dad growing up in the or your dad in the military if he was more of a drill sergeant dad or more of like a just whatever oh um yeah it's really hard to say i mean he wasn't a drill sergeant dad but you know there was only maybe two or two times you got to ask why and then it was pretty much on after that so that, <laughs> that's that's how that rolled um but yeah yeah it was yeah it was it was interesting looking back it was like yeah it wasn't a drill sergeant dad but you could definitely tell you know when it came time to moving or anything like that everything was was in order we went you know and i I got to come alongside for a lot of those hurry up and wait appointments you know for all these things which were definitely a a little more adventurous in the 80s (laughs) but it's all good you know yeah my dad like i said he wasn't like the I say drill sergeant because it's just mm. from movies and what I see, but like he yeah. wasn't the, you better fear me, do it yeah, now. No, like, no, but he was, he was kind of like, you, you ask, you can ask me once or twice, but after that, it's going to get, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to make you yeah. do it, so to speak. I, I didn't have to, I learned real quick not to ask more than, you know, a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, but no, he was for the most part pretty cool and chill and still is. I mean, he's still, he always used to tell me that he would love to go back to uh, and do basic training again, just for the <laughs> the physical part of it. Yeah, not so much anymore. But um, back, you know, I was probably seventeen to twenty one. He would tell me that I'm like, "You crazy?" Like he's like, "No, it was fun." And I was like, "Okay," but um, yeah. I could see like he's very neat and organized, and that's 
part of, you know, uh, him being there and he's not the white glove treatment, but he's talked about it before. And, uh, but yeah, anyway, no, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that that all worked out. I flipped a few of my kids drawers, but not out of anger. It was usually like, oh, okay. So this is a problem for you. Let me show you what they did to me in basic training. I would right. And they were like, whoa. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Except with yelling. So let's let's get better at this. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, so why, why stop uh, a good thing when it's already rolling? So Sam, take over. What do you got? All right. So I'm, I'm I guess, a self-described foodie as well. And I, I love sharing recipes or, you know, learning about, you know, different um, different favorites and different households. And so, you know, for you and your family, what's your favorite meal to prepare for them? Lumpia. Lumpia. Okay. What is that? They are um, basically fried spring rolls. Uh, you find them in Indonesia, but it's mainly a Filipino custom. I'm half Filipino. Um, but lumpia is one of those things that, you know, like in the Hispanic culture, you have like the tamales. Mm-hmm. Um, lumpia is the, the, the general equivalent where it's, you know, put different things in it. You wrap them, you fry them, and they're they're just delicious. But the funny thing is that my mom didn't teach me how to roll those. It was one of her friends because when we lived in in Fayetteville and Pope Air Force Base, there's a big Filipino American community there. A lot of Fort Bragg Army was you know Filipino culture, so we had this big network of friends, and there were a couple of them that were just supreme lumbi rollers. So she never had to roll them; we would just get them from them. And so when you know I became an adult and moved away, I was like, I want to, I guess I'm have to make my own because I don't know anybody here that knows. And, you know, I yeah. failed so many times, but it finally, finally clicked and I got it right. And that became like my trading piece for anything, you know, it was like, Hey, can I borrow that? I'll hook you up with some lumpia. And they're like, yeah, you know, so <laughs> yeah, lumpia is my nice. favorite thing to make in the house for, for anybody that wants it. So cool. yeah. Yeah. A lot more uh, complicated than my go-to. I'm more like, <laughs> oh, you want a sandwich? Okay, here's a sandwich. Yo. It's got bologna and ham and cheese. <laughs> Mixing the meats. <laughs> you get variety. Yeah, I hit all the food groups. There you go. That's awesome. All right. Well, um, Corey, do you want to move on to the uh, to the next part? I don't have any other questions right now. Um, that's going to pertain to like food or some of the military service things. Um, just whenever he gets started on his introduction, we get to talk about the, the sleep you deserve part. Uh, mm-hmm. I may chime in again there. Right on, right on. Okay, so just a little bit more for, I guess you'd call it like icebreakerist question. Mm-hmm. Kind of stuck out to me anyways. As far as your master's degree, the thesis work, writing your, your thesis, you know, defending it in front of a bunch of people, that, uh, that just sends shivers down my spine. I can't really imagine much more uh, <laughs> nerve-wracking yeah. is it really you know as bad as it is in my head like obviously you're gonna say no it's not that bad but like for you personally like you know how was your experience with that all right um so for me that that's something that tends to happen at the doctorate level um, for the master's degree level it can be different things you have this thing called a capstone and it may be like a 50 page research paper and this part and a small presentation um, that's 10 that tends to happen at the master's level for my counseling degree it was it was different layers though kind of like what you said about the thesis um, so for my counseling degree um, I had to go do 
think it was like 1500 hours of counseling, but I had to look at a vignette and be able to defend it within 30 minutes in front of three to three people. They would give me a, a situation that I'd have to go through and defend it. And they would question me, well, why didn't you take this path? You know, not that it was right or wrong, but I should be able to defend it. Once I passed that, I was able to do the hours. And honestly, that was the hardest thing was getting past that point to where I could go do my counseling hours, supervise and all that. And then after that, you know, it was another paper and then it was another presentation in front of another class. But, um, but yeah, getting, getting past that, that, uh, panel of three people, you know, that was tough because they'd been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years, each of them. And I was like, oh, okay. You know? And I didn't know what the situation was coming in front. Um, for the organizational leadership one, it was a big capstone project. It wasn't, excuse me, it was like a 50 page paper that I had a month, a month or so to work on. So I was doing that. And I think I was watching Breaking Bad it was at the same time, but in bits and pieces, because if you try to do everything at once without giving yourself a break, you will burn out. So it was like, all right, let me do two hours of this and then an episode of Breaking Bad and then keep going. So right on good little uh, tip there with that. Yeah, I clearly work for you. So someone else could probably take that room with it somehow. All right. So I had a little bit more uh, about the uh, the youth, I guess, so to speak, the younger you. As far mm. as your dad being in the military, do you remember him deploying a lot? Was he gone a lot uh, in your youth? Let's see. He, yeah, there was two or three times where I remember him going for like 30 days and 60 days. Um, I don't even remember where he went. I think some of it was trainings because we were stationed most of that time. Um, we were in the Philippines. And so he was working the back shop for C-130s props and then he was also doing um what do they call it job control back then which is basically working on the flight line when the planes would come in they'd let all the flight line workers know what job needs to be done and where and all that so he was gone for trainings i know he was a vietnam veteran um he didn't talk too much about that um and it was one it was interesting because it wasn't like you know a ptsd thing or, or anything like that i remember um and, you know, he just, you know, had his friends and they would all talk, but they never really talked about what happened there. There was only a couple of times where we'd be watching a movie and he was like, yep, I ended up doing that job. And I was like, that has nothing to do with, with pro propellers, but now I get it, you know? So, um, yeah, I remember him going a couple of times and coming back. So we had a, I, I guess it was our last guest. His dad was also in the Vietnam War and along those same lines, just didn't really talk about it. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm wondering what the type of person is that was there and then come back and is like, yeah, oh yeah, wh what do you want to hear? I'll tell you all yeah, I do. Yeah, like, like who is that person? Because I've never yeah. even like heard of them on TV. Right, and no, so me and so I think about it. Um, you know, you guys were army, so there's definitely a mission that you're doing. Uh, the Air Force, that's not their mission, is to go out there and you know be in the fields or anything like that or or even doing the things that he told me you know a roundabout way that he was doing and i was like that must have been different you know because you're going in the air force thinking okay i'm going to be doing this yeah i'll be fixing planes or whatever supporting the pilots doing this and then you go to vietnam and then it, all of a sudden it's like no you're doing something else while you're there so that's probably one big reason why he wasn't going to talk about anything <laughs> that's um that's one I'm glad that I missed. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a few others I'm sure that, uh, you know, everybody has horror stories about, but I think that yeah. Vietnam is one that we can all yeah. agree on was probably pretty bad. Yeah. 
So yeah, good, good thing that he wasn't gone for long periods of time. You know, as you said, Mm -hmm. being in the army, our deployments tend to to go a little bit longer than that. But even with that being said, do you have any memory of any readjustment after he came back? Was it, you know, hard to welcome him back into the family? Uh, No, I don't have any memory of that. Uh, I didn't know if, you know, being uh, so young, you pretty much just kind of take things as they come at that age. Yeah. So, yeah, because I mean, I was in, I was graduating high school when he finally got out, but we were at, at that point, we were at Pope Air Force Base and he wasn't, you know, he was at the tail end of his career. He almost went, because um, he was supposed to retire and then that's when Desert Storm happened. So then he got, what, um, with a redliner or something like that where he couldn't retire. Voluntary extended. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. He ended up staying like another two and a half years and, um, but he couldn't deploy. Uh, he couldn't go over there, so he did a lot of the job control when all the planes would come back from Fort Bragg, and it was he was gone. He practically was deployed when you're working 14s like that, you know. So yeah. three two two threes and just yeah. So you said earlier that your grandfather was also in the military. Did mm-hmm. you uh, have any memory of him? Was he is, was he a, you know a part of your life growing up? He no, not really, because we lived overseas a lot, you know, and we were stationed in these places, so we would see him you know, when we visit family, but come back. And I, you know, I didn't even know he was in the air force until like, I was an adult. I was like, Oh, you were in too, you know? So, um, you know, but he told me like he was stationed at tool at one point, you know, out in Greenland. I think that's where that's at. I was going <laughs> to say, is that, yeah. I don't <laughs> know. There. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was out there in Greenland for a bit. Um, but that's, yeah, I don't have too much memory of, of him, uh, military stories or anything like that. So other than, um, us, like um he passed away a long time ago my grandmother recently passed away um but what was really cool about all this was you know we're getting all her stuff together and uh you know those you remember those little slideshows like you like the rotating thing you put little slides in there and you press the button and it'd be like on a projector we discovered like hundreds of slides where they had gone to vietnam and, and thailand and toured there and just this is beautiful pictures i was like this is what an artifact to find it was from like the 70s or something um from when you know he was stationed over there they'd gone to taiwan they gone a few places that i didn't you know i didn't know these stories these were like 60 you know 50 60 years ago so but making that discovery and seeing all that was really cool so yeah that does sound cool that's almost like finding a diary or something yeah like that. yeah yeah exactly yeah that's that's really and it's all like also it's art in a way so you know you get yeah. to kind of take what you want from it yeah, yeah. that's really cool uh, so kind of moving forward a little bit, you yourself are a father. I'm correcting that, right? Yes. And how many kids do you have? I have two. Uh, are they, uh, how old are they? They are now 21 and 24. Okay. So you, you've, you've been there, you've done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as I, I kind of, uh, asked this to the dads that, you know, they're, when their kids are a little bit older, Yeah. do you ever, uh, look back and think, man, I really loved a, like any particular time. Like, was there, you know, a time of their, maybe it was different from one than the other. So it, the, the answer would vary, but you know, was the toddler phase your favorite or uh, for oh. some reason, the teenager phase? <laughs> you know, I don't know if I have a, a favorite phase. Um, I really like where they are at now. Um, as young adults because they have a lot of good memories and the the cool thing about us at our age now is we every picture we take is like digital upload 
you know. So there's a lot of memories. And we used to joke, like, don't ever try to go get therapy and tell them we never did anything with you. We got thousands and thousands of pieces of evidence of everything. We were, <laughs> you know. um, but they're very, they're very young age watching them develop um, and come into their own. And then now, I really like now because they look back and they get their memories. It's like, oh, I remember that. Or I don't remember what, what was going on in this situation. Why, you know, why were we at this park here? You know, why am I wearing that hat? And so it's kind of cool to, to be able to look back. So, yeah, it's there's always something. There's always a gem you can get out of every phase, out of the toddler phase, out of, you know, the even the tween phase, even the quote unquote rebellious phase, you know, when you look at it. I think that's more growth for the adults than it is for them. <laughs> you know? like, Interesting. Am I Interesting. looking at the rebel me as a teen or is this a different thing? You know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, when, as soon as you started talking, I was like, this is going to be a real shut up. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I made, I mean, sure keep my mouth shut. Um, I, I don't want to hog all the fun here. You, Dan, did you have anything that was uh, weighing on your mind? Uh, yeah. That's another question I ask a lot of our guests. Um, it could be the same same thing or uh, or different piece. It's a kind of a two part question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the first part? What's the best piece of advice you could give, either a new dad or a struggling dad or just any any dad out there? And part two, what was the best piece of advice you were given before your kids were born? Ooh, ooh those are good. Uh, the best piece of advice I would give a new dad is you are growing too. This is new for everybody. This is new for the kid. This is new for you. You're not expected to know everything. You're not expected to to get everything right. But learn from learn from it all. You know, learn learn from it all. Every experience you have with them. If you have that burning sensation in your heart that whatever you just did was just flat out wrong, and you know it was wrong, you got to be able to communicate that to your kids in a way. Um, it's not going to make them better than you or see you as weak. Um, you're actually stronger when you let them know, Hey, you know what? I messed that one up. You know, I'm new at this too. So let me, you know, I'm going to do over or do better with that. And it's going to teach them the same thing. Um, you know, that, that's one thing I, I don't really know what advice I can think of that was like, just completely communicated to me other, you know, before I was a dad. Um, but there was just a collective, respect for tradition and culture um, that I just wanted to pass down to my kids and and having them be as creative as possible without worrying about oh what are these people going to think if they see him in this or they see her in that you know there was a not a lot of that you know when you guys were talking about like the strict military whatever um, growing up like I was actually very free to be creative and expressive in a lot of ways and you know even my mom like there's the stereotypical Asian mom that's going to be like, you're going to be a doctor or a nurse. My mom was like, oh, you're a really good drawer. You could be that person that's at the carnival drawing pictures. I was like, no, I need a, a job, you know. So I had parents that were pretty, you know, cool about me being creative and expressive. So um, that was something that I was able to pass to my kids. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And one more silly question. Mm-hmm. I hear this a lot. Uh in your opinion, was is Breaking Bad the best TV show? It was. It's top five, easy top five. <laughs> right on. Start right to finish on. It is really, really good. Um, and Better Call Saul was not bad either. It took that one took a little bit longer to get into because everybody was so used to, um, 
you know, uh, Saul Goodman being like the funny guy. But when they got into the layers of how he got to be in that, got to being Saul Goodman, like that was a really good story and some of the future stuff that they did. So yeah, Breaking Bad was right up there for sure. Corey, you're muted. And I know I'm muted, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I can see I'm muted, Dan. (laughs) Number one, do you have, can you go straight to number one and tell us your, your favorite show of all time? Oh man. Ah, it's so hard. Um, because there were so many good series that like, you know, so a lot of shows start really well, but then they don't really have an ending and every story has got an ending. Um, I would, I would put the wire up there very much up there in the top five. The wire is probably one show that not enough people have seen. Um, I would say the wire, I would say breaking bad for sure. Uh, I really liked lost was really good. I thought, you know, you know, I thought so a little bit at the end of it, I was like, eh. Really like The Sopranos. That was really good. That had a really good start to finish. Um, and then see, then there's like the X-Files where for the first half of it, really, really loved it. And then I don't know what was happening towards the end. Then they tried to bring it back and I was like yeah. all excited. And then it got worse. I was <laughs> like, what is going on here? What happened? You know, so it, it had lost its magic, but yeah, I would, I would put the first half of X-Files, the wire, um, breaking bad, most of game of Thrones and, and lost. Yeah. Those would be up there. Right on. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen Deadwood? I've seen episodes of Deadwood. I've never seen it like the whole Deadwood, but I've seen That's episodes not, of it. Yeah. It's, it's probably my top five. I just mentioned that because you were throwing out a bunch of HBO shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sam, anything that popped up in your head uh, that you wanted to get out there before we got to, you know, where you said you wanted to jump back in? Oh, has anybody heard of the TV series Black Mirror? Yes, I'm starting yeah. to watch that now. Mm-hmm. I, I slept on that. I've heard uh, of it. Oh, it is good. That is good. Every episode, you know, it took me four episodes to go, oh, that's why it's called Black Mirror. Oh, because <laughs> at the end of every show, even halfway through, it makes you think, am I that bad of a person? Or is this really a society thing that like, oh, this, this I need to watch out about this for me. And you don't even see it coming, even every episode. And then by the end, you're like, I need to really rethink how I do my life. <laughs> but all different stories. That is a really good show. I'm I'm probably three or four seasons into catching up, so. I think but, the latest season's about to drop if it hasn't done so yeah, already. It did. It was season five or season six, I think. They're on now. six. I've watched one yeah. episode of that one so far. The the Joan is awful episode. That was really good. So I'm a little I'm a little behind yeah. on it myself, but yeah. for those of you who aren't familiar with it, think oh, so um good. Aesop's Fables meets um uh, Conscious. Or, yeah, <laughs> Aesop's Fables meets um golly, I had it at the tip of my tongue. Twilight Zone. I would yes, say, yes. yeah, that's or, about or it. The outer yeah. limits. The Twilight yes. Zone is like the outer limits. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It does like give it me that of... Twilight Zone's um, kind of vibe because same mm-hmm. thing was happening in Twilight Zone when you really think about those episodes. At the end, you're like, oh yeah, it's got yeah, a lesson right. behind it. You know, yeah. no matter how screwed up things may be, you're like, oh wow, I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Is that really how this is perceived, or is yeah. this really yeah. where I could be going wrong, or I could make some yeah. changes? And all? yeah, like, wow, oh yeah, that's a deep show. For sure. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah, I'm over here. Uh, so what's the Brave score and what's coming on <laughs> wrestling tonight? Yeah, what is coming on wrestling tonight? 
That's Unless another Wednesday, so it's AW if you were wondering. AW. Oh man. Okay, so <laughs> uh, to kind of um, get into the meat of what we wanted to talk about, as yeah. far as yourself, you you know you were in the Air Force for quite a long time. Uh, I guess first and foremost, did you have your children while you were in? Yes. Okay, so the the time that you know you spent in the the way it shaped you, how do you think it may have affected you as a father? You think it had, I mean, I, I would say it's going to be good and, and bad, but just in your own opinion, what stands out to you is like, this is probably an effect of that. Um, logistics. <laughs> it's the, probably my shortest thing I can think of is logistics. So I start with the end in mind with almost everything. And in the earlier days of fatherhood, you know, the kids only understand so much. And then you're so used to, you know, let's go. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't yell at them, but it was very curt. It was very short. Come on, car. Come on. You know, you know, I even taught them like this. You guys ever worked like on a flight line or near aircraft or anything like that? So hand and arm signals. Yeah. Yeah. So this <laughs> one is like pool chocks, you know, for the planes about to leave. So I taught them that. So if we were going to leave a party or a store or the park, they would know like when I did this, like, okay, yeah. time to get ready to go, you know? So I would do that. So I wouldn't have to be like, yeah, hey, you get over here. Where are you? you know, nothing like that. So, um, but as I learned, you know, that's, you know, I was like, you know, you ain't got to say it like that to them. They're just young. Okay. So, you know, I started easing into my language with them, but the logistics has always been there. That's, that is definitely a thing. You know, anytime we're moving, anytime we're about to go to do something, there's, there's, you know, the briefing, you know, I just didn't call them that, but I was like, all right, quick meeting. This is what's going to happen today. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. All right. What do you think you need to do to make sure that we got to get out of here at seven 30, you know, or what do you think you need to do? So, uh, what are you going to need? You know? A lot of that would happen before we did anything. So, cool. That that actually seems like a really good thing to be bringing to uh, you know the parental life because if you can get in with the kids before any event, then that event oh, has yeah. to at least go a little bit le- a little bit better. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So <laughs> they they loved it because um, they used to get a lot of free stuff at restaurants and candy and things. And it wasn't like we would have to be like, you need to behave. We didn't have to do any of that. We never had to do any of that before we would go because it was like, okay, what are we bringing? What do you need? You know, we knew we were going to pay attention to them. We're going to give them all the attention while we're waiting. They're going to have their play toys or whatever. And it became so systematic to them that they would just, we'd go to the restaurant, they'd chill. And it was like, your kids are so good. I was like, well, they're getting our attention and we prepped them real nice. So, Mm -hmm. and when they were getting strangers rewards from it and staff rewards, it was like, we should keep this up. I'm like, yeah, you should see, told you. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, not, not to go too off of uh, the handle here, but it, it kind of popped into my head while you were talking. It, it seems like you have, you know, had a, a pretty good relationship with them. And I was wondering, you know, you, you brought it up earlier, the rebellious teenage years and uh, yeah. you know, father uh, bad, butting heads with his sons and yeah. you specifically coming from that kind of rigid background. Was there any yeah. of that in your life? Uh, my life? Um, with them? Oh, with them? Uh, a little bit with my son. Um, you know, but it was easy to talk out. So it was, you know, it was a little bit. It wasn't like no drugs or no, 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 that. We never had any of that issue, you know, anything like that. It was just, you know, coming of age, trying to decide and how to say things. 
you know, this is what he wants. I'm like, nope, that's not where we're going. And then he'd answer me a way I would answer somebody else. And I was like, that didn't fly well with me. But, you know, as I learned to say, okay, where is it coming from and why? Once we got into that, then it was a lot easier, you know. And so it was there and then it was gone. You know, he still lives with us now. And um, it's pretty cool because, he's, you know, he's an adult. So um, he can reflect on those times. And then the type of work he's doing now it is so funny to hear the stories that he tells back because he'll tell a story of, of somebody not doing something that they were supposed to do two hours ago. And he's like the youngest person there. And he's like, and I was like, I told you two hours ago, why didn't you do it? And he looks at me and goes, don't even say it. I'm like, okay, dude, I'm not, I'm not going to say it. He knows. I'm like, yeah, now you know, you know, but. <laughs> right on. So it was kind of like you said earlier, you had yeah. to grow a little bit as well. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. like you, he bent to your wheel or anything. No. You you learned where he was coming from and, and the communication improved from that. Yeah, pretty much it. Yeah. It you know, it I had to it's like, listen, this kid's fifteen. He's not gonna I'm forty something, I think, at the time, or late thirties. Like, why am I expecting him to talk to me like that? You know, like in a you know, with that type of logic. You know, when you look at those age years, there's none of us that I think of as like, man, I wish I was fifteen again. Uh-uh, you know, no, I don't, you know, <laughs> your, your frontal lobe's not fully developed enough to, to where, you know, you can have your emotion, but then put that aside and go into logic. That's not there yet. No, for like another 10 years, you know, yeah, so if that, if that, you know, so <laughs> some, some adults haven't figured that out. Yeah, yet. exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I had to take a couple of steps back and it's funny because um, that was a running joke in my house. Cause like, you know, I went to school, I got a master's in counseling, like my wife was in the same similar fields. So we know about these things. But at a certain point, you have to turn it off and just be a parent, you know, and be a human being and not go, oh, let me step back and analyze this. Is this normal behavior for, you know, the develop? No, I'm being a dad right now. You need to handle your business. You know, so, um, but yeah, it's like, you don't want me to talk to you like a therapist. And, you know, over here, he's like, yeah, you're right. You, I don't want you to, I'm glad you didn't, you know? So, yeah. That, yeah. That's it. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no that was a, that, that was a, that was a great explanation. Kind of took the, the question and almost answered it, you know, that I had in my mind about your conflict between parent versus counselor. And how mm -hmm. did you find that balance in your household while you were going through school as opposed right. to when did you turn the counselor off and the parent back on <laughs> or vice versa? Good question, man. You know, so, um, you know, when you're in school, you know, you're learning all these techniques and there's only really a couple of classes where you're actually playing them out. You know, most of it is just learning different systems and, you know, the history of things. But then when you really get to go do it or experience it or get supervised, that that's where it can change things. Um, the listening ear, developing that active listening ear continued. You know, I was always a good listener, but like becoming a professionally good listener that I, I would keep that going as much as I could. Um, but my brain could not take the, the bandwidth it would need to, to keep that, you know, therapeutic mind 24 hours a day. It, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't. So, you know, I was relaxed, whatever. This is, this is who I am. They're not really too different when you think about it in a way. Um, but the one good thing about it is the work I was doing, most of it was in, you know, community mental health. So I did a lot of hours working with veterans um, that were homeless or were in transition. I worked with couples. I mean, I worked with kids in foster care, all these things. So it did give me a sense of levity, like 
this isn't so bad at the house right now. This sucks for a minute, but it ain't nearly as bad as it could be. So that's, that was helpful to, to have that sort of levity. The problem I had was expecting everyone else to have that levity um, without experiencing what I was experiencing. So, you know, you got a kid that's like, oh, this is horrible. My life is over because I'm like, no, it's not. No, you're, you're okay. But, yeah, but it's like the, uh, the tantrums are too, but just uh, different ages. Different ages. Different. But you go, you know, but I'm wondering almost the same. It's not my show, but you know that transition from military to civilian life and like when you you go and you're working with civilians the first time and you hear a complaint about something and you're thinking that's nothing really but you don't want to lash out you know <laughs> it was almost the same deal so you know i mean it's been I'm trying to go ahead no, you're just trying. You're not trying to minimize their struggle because yeah. you come from a different background and you have to put yourself in their shoes. And that you know, it's not everything's, yeah. you know, of that military mind and structure exactly. where these small things don't matter to us yes. that have served or lived in that lifestyle. Yep. These things can have a lot more impact on a civilian um, frame of mind. Yeah. You know, where we just kind of brush it off, or you know, we find things more. You know, we find things that are petty to civilians but that's got way more gravity to us because of our background and training. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Like good you had point. to fill out a form twice and that's a problem twice. Oh. You had to come to work on time every on day, time? every day. Wait, what? <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness. This is not I was the job for to me. be here at eight. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So uh, one more thing, as far as the military that I would be remiss not to touch on, and it may be that there's nothing to this, but as far as deployments, were mm -hmm. you on any long ones? And did you notice any effect from them in, as far as reconnecting with the family when you got home? Um, the longest one I was on was 85 days. Uh, that was to Germany. That was Rhine, Maine, which was supposed to be shut down. And this was during the shock and awe campaign. And, you know, we were there when stuff was going and then we were there to help transition things back. Um, uh, so we were there a long, long time that to me, that was a long time because, you know, normally on an eight hour shift, you might catch, you know, five planes that come in or five planes that leave and we're there working 12s and there's like 22, 25 planes. Some of them, not even the planes that we work on. And we're trying to get everybody to, you know, get these planes, gas them, go over and over and over. And then when you're done with your shift, it's not like you just go home. No, you got to wait for everybody else to come off the flight line so that everybody can go back to the same hotel or dorm or where you're staying at and then do it again, you know, in, in the less than 12 hours, because now we're going on 10, we're going on eight hours where you can, you know, maybe get some sleep, maybe shower, maybe, you know, um, and do it again. So <laughs> it was a long, that was a long and intense um, deployment. As far as adjusting, yeah, definitely adjusting to the food, the time, um, you know, I did, I, my kids were really young, so it was really, you know, it was kind of, you know, my son probably doesn't remember me going. My daughter definitely remembers now, you know, she's 24 and, she, you know, she was, I think she was like four when I left. Um, so, and she remembers, you know, cause that's where I got my first and only tattoo and I came back she was like, yeah, I remember that you showed it to me, you know, she was wondering who. Jeremy was well who was this guy you know <laughs> no I got it in Germany you know um so you know there was a little bit of a time adjustment 
it was well that that was a lifelong battle in the military it was my time adjustments um but there was that you know uh getting used to to doing stuff that needed to be done around the house you know after a little bit uh having a little more space because now there wasn't four people in my room it was just me and her you know me and my wife so that you know that was kind of good too so yeah i remember when i came back from deployment uh at one point i had been living with my wife in her studio apartment and it went from being tiny to being like oh wow this is yeah, all the space, all this space. yeah like why would we ever need to move out of here this is great um so that's really cool i'm glad that we were able to touch on uh, a lot of that you really did kind of cover the gamut on everything that i wanted to talk about and uh, as far as the military and being a dad is concerned i'm not really uh missing out on any questions if we switch gears here and move on to uh, your career, your right. current, what you got going on currently, sleep you deserve. Yeah, I was wondering if you could tell us, tell our listeners, uh, you know, what you have there, what you're doing, and uh, and right. how it might benefit them. Okay, um, so this is like my second thing. I have a day job where I'm still working in the mental health social services space, um, but this is something I've been developing over the last two and a half, three years. And it did start when I was in the military. And you know, the, the bottom line up front is, especially with veterans, is like we don't know how to sleep like a civilian. Uh, even if you never went on deployment, if you never, you know, went to battle, if you if you live just a regular, however you call regular military life, you don't really sleep the same when you get out. And when you try as a whole, you know, maybe not everybody, it's different. It's very different. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, and that's what I'm, that's going to, the second project I'm working on with Sleep You Deserve. But right now, I'm sharing just my experiences of how I, how I got into sleep coaching. Um, when I was in Germany for the Kosovo Air and Space Campaign, was the very first time I realized I had a sleep issue. Um, so I worked, uh, Charleston Air Force Base was the base I was stationed at. And I worked the day shift, and then I worked the swing shift, and then I worked the late shift. You know, I went from seven to three to three to eleven to eleven to seven, and this would change every few months or so, depending on what they need. Because when you're the lowest ranking people, they they plug you where in wherever they can. Um, and then we went on this uh, deployment that ended up in in Germany, but it started off going first to Lodges Airfield in the Azores, which is part of Portugal. We were there for like two weeks. And then we went to Rota, Spain for two weeks. And then we went to Germany. And it was the third night there because I was working the Panama shift 7 you know, p.m., 7 a.m. The third morning there, I go in, I go to bed, 9 o'clock. You know, you got three roommates. They're all working. And I woke up but couldn't move. And I, I thought I was being buried. Because it was like, okay, I'm awake, but I cannot move. And it freaked me out. And I was fighting. I felt myself fighting. It felt like hours and hours I was fighting. I was like, I hope nobody sees this. I hope nobody sees this. I hope nobody sees this. Um, and then, it, you know, finally I was able to shake it off and get up. And I was looking around, like trying to figure out, did anybody come back? Did anybody see this? Um, but it had only been like maybe an hour after I went to bed. And it only probably lasted about 30 seconds because I went through it like three more times. No idea what was going on. 
But as we are in the military, we don't want to tell nobody nothing because we don't want to get kicked out. We don't want to be looked this week or whatever. So I didn't say anything. I was just happy nobody saw it happen. Um, and it was starting to happen weekly there. And eventually, and this is like 2000, you know, got back and learned a little bit of what it was called. And it's sleep paralysis is what it was. And I was like, oh, okay. And I still didn't want to tell anybody. I, I didn't. Um, it was happening. Even my, my wife wasn't seeing it because I was going to bed. You know, she's taking care of the kids because I'm coming to bed at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning this is my regular shift, even when I got back. Um, so she didn't see it when it would happen, but it was happening weekly. And at one point I finally told, you know, my doctor, I was like, I don't know what this is, but this is what's happening. Um, she didn't know anything about it. She had to go print something out. The only thing she could tell me was like, you know, don't sleep too much on your back because, you know, that's all they knew. That's really, there was not much to it. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to get kicked out. You know, she's like, what you need to do is let them know that you probably need to work a day shift. And I'm thinking, what kind of person are you in the military that you think I'm going to go tell my supervisor I need to work on this shift right here? <laughs> and for why? <laughs> What's going to happen? But I think it was like two weeks later, I got put on day shift. So they rotated me out. And then, um, so it was, it was still happening, um, but it wasn't as bad. And then September 11th happened, and then we went on all kinds of shifts, and it just kept, you know, it was happening weekly um, for a very, very long time. Um, and so that brought about insomnia, because now I'm scared to go to sleep because I didn't want it to happen. Um, and then there's like the panic attacks that can happen, you know, when you multiply that with the anxiety of, you know, just military life. Um, and it continued. Um, but the more I started to teach myself about what I could find, the little bit I would try something different. Okay, this is going to help. Because what do they tell you to go to sleep? Oh, man, just, you know, just take a vitamin M and a beer. You'll be all right. You know, or just go take a hot bath. Like recovery, long-term recovery is not a thing that, that they taught me while I was in the military. It was just whatever can get you return to service, basically. You know, take this painkiller, you know, just drink this or whatever. You'll be all right. You know, if it gets worse, let us know. And you know, um, so it was just a lot of, of self-medication up until that point. Um, but as time went on, I started learning more and it was going on and going on. And then, uh, when I started going to grad school, you know, this is by this time I was in California, I started, they give you access to all these peer reviewed journals and things. So, you know, to do your research and I started looking stuff up there. I was like, Oh, Oh, that's interesting. That's how sleep's supposed to work. And so I started making more adjustments. And then it would gone to like maybe every other week it would happen. And at this point, I'm you know, I'm on day shift, I'm sleeping regular hours. My wife started to see it happening with me. So nothing's really happening on the outside. Everything is happening on the inside. But when you try to shake yourself out of sleep paralysis, like something, you know, somebody who sees it can tell. So she's like, what, what's going on? And I explained it to her. You know, then I went and got sleep studies and all this stuff. So, but the more I started to educate myself on it and putting things into place, the easier it would not happen. And finally got to a point where maybe it's happening maybe five or six times a year and I can tell when it's going to happen. So it's not as scary, um, but that's because I know what's going on. And there's people who have this and they like see witches and demons and like, yeah, yeah that's actually all kinds what of I've, I've heard it like associated yeah, with. Those. I I never had that experience, fortunately for me. Um, but I can believe somebody when they tell me that they've had it, because when you're in that moment, you know, cause I'll be having dreams or something 
it's a scary feeling to, to go through it when you don't know what's happening. So it doesn't surprise me that people see and experience what, what they say. Um, but it was interesting that it was years after I figured out what to do for my sleep and started getting educated on it. I had asked myself, I was like, do people get certified in this type of thing? And that's when I came across a sleep science certification. And so I studied and got that done. And I started to develop my own systems um, cause I took everything it took over years. It was like almost eight, nine, 10 years to figure out for myself. I was like, now that I know the why behind how everything works and why this worked and why sleep goes this way, I bet I can make a system that's easier for people to gas grasp. And if they fall through, then maybe it won't take them 10 years to figure out their sleep stuff. Maybe it can be weeks or months if they stick to it. And that's that's where I'm at now. So that's that's what I'm doing. And now I'm working on something that's going to be easier for veterans to grasp. Because like, as you said earlier, sometimes it's hard to get veterans to talk about stuff, you know, and we're veterans and we're the ones that are, we'd be the easiest people to, to talk to about things. But yeah, I mean, another yeah. bet. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but I'm I'm getting things together now and working with people to to get it to where, you know, we we all have common reasons as to why our sleep gets jacked up. Um, and we don't really realize it till we get out of the military. So that's, sure, that's why yeah. I'm at. Yeah. yeah. I remember in AIT, I would go to bed at like two and then, you know, we'd be up for training like what at five or whatever it was just like again yeah. and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I ever did that. You get through it um, there. Yeah. If uh, people want to follow, you know, your progress, get in touch with you, something along those lines, how's the best yeah. way for them to do that? Um, I can put stuff in the chat, um, but you know, there is, there is the sleepydeserve.com website. I do have a podcast called the why behind your Z's. Um, I finished the first season a, a couple months ago. I'm about to start the second season in a, about a month or so. Um, it's going to be a good 10 episodes, but Basically, I, I explain the why behind some sleep issues. Um, I take questions and emails. Uh, people will subscribe to my list. You can subscribe and, you know, you'll get stuff from me every, every other week about sleep. And I take some of those questions and do episodes based on the questions that I get. Um, but yeah, I love, I love doing that. And the second season, I'm focusing a lot on um, other experts external to sleep coaching um, that can talk about things that affect sleep. You know, I talked to a whole foods diet specialist guy um, about, you know, cause I know what nutrition needs to be in your system to get to sleep. But he told me about different plants and about different foods that help with that. You know, I talked to a therapist about different uh, stress releases you can do. Um, I talked to a guy who is an ER doctor, but he's also a, um, he teaches other doctors, up and coming doctors through high tech medical. And we talked about medications that he's prescribed some of the crazy stories that he experienced with people who came in with no sleep. Um, so I like to talk to people that are experts outside of my direct field that can help everyone else. So, um, yeah, yeah I definitely feel that that's what we're yeah. kind of trying to do with uh, our podcast too. That's awesome. And as far as the, the title there is the, the W H Y or is mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Okay, and then. Uh, as far as Z's, is that like three Z's? Z no, it's just S? Uh, Z apostrophe S. Yeah. All right, cool. The Y behind your Z's. Right on then. Yeah. So I remember Sam saying that he had something that he wanted to ask that was related to this. Sam, why don't you go ahead and throw that out there? 
Uh, yeah, for, for those of our viewers and listeners and everybody out there uh, on the interwebs and all that stuff that aren't familiar what sleep paralysis or sleep anxiety is, could you mm -hmm. give us a description or could you kind of describe yeah. to us what that is, please? Yeah, sure. So I'll go into the, the mechanics of sleep. So when you go to sleep, you, you really don't, um, there's, there's like four stages. Some people would say five. And that first stage of sleep is like the initial sleep. So you're getting sleep, you're getting the yawns, you're closing your eyes, but you're still sensitive to things. Um, and the second sleep is where it gets deeper, where your, your senses get numb, um, your body core temperature drops. Uh, uh, you don't really feel a whole lot of stuff and you're, you're supposed to be like really getting into sleep. The third stage is the, the release stage where your body releases like all these hormones and regrowth and repair hormones to things. Um, sometimes, you know, that's where you're getting all your repairs. And then there's the REM stage where your memory and cognition, you know, your brain's uh, theoretically sorting out memories, you know, figuring out what to put in, figuring out what to take out. And you, you, you become a little sensitive then to sounds and things. Uh, and then it starts over and you go through that maybe three or four times a night on a good night. <clears throat> so with sleep paralysis, what's happening is, the only thing that's supposed to be really operating in your deep sleep of any activity is really like your lungs and you know your heart like it's just barely and for some reason your eyes what happens with sleep paralysis is that your brain for some reason becomes conscious whatever the reason is don't don't really know but it's become conscious when you're supposed to be catatonic and so there's like a mix-up like i'm awake but i can't move so that is what's actually happening in sleep paralysis is you're you're basically your your consciousness is awoken for whatever reason why you're supposed to be in deep sleep and it and when you're in deep sleep like it takes like a, a hundred decibels for any sound to really wake you up if you ever you know need to be woken up somebody's got to really really shake you you know because they're trying to activate you so you, you'll be groggy um so when that happens that consciousness of like you're fully awake in your brain but you cannot move that's really what's happening with sleep paralysis. Sleep anxiety is that worry of, well, any anxiety is a worry about not being able to control the future. Um, and so sleep anxiety is that worry of, will I get sleep? It's really, it's, will I get sleep? Did I sleep long enough? You know, what's going to happen if I don't, you know, sleep? Um, that's something that, that people can go through before they go to sleep or even in the middle of the sleep. They wake up thinking, did I sleep enough? Um, and sometimes that can push to insomnia where like you chronic insomnia is like you're not really getting a lot of sleep you you do insomniacs do get sleep they just don't realize it because it's not very long a lot of it's that n1 that i was talking about you know you don't even realize you've passed out for 20 minutes here and 30 minutes there um and then you're like i haven't slept in four days i'm like no you slept you just don't realize it um because it just feels like that you know you might have slept four hours but the, uh, okay, awesome. Thank you for explaining that. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. Yeah. The the things uh, the thing that you said made me kind of want to piggyback off of that. Mm -hmm. When you have the you know your episode of sleep paralysis, is it something that you have to completely fully wake up from? You have to wait until you completely wake up, or do you uh, are you able to like force your brain back to sleep? Um, you know, there are people that are able to let it pass because really nothing is happening to you. There's nothing. It feels like something's happening to you, but nothing is really physically happening to you. Um, it's just, it's very stressful in the moment. If you don't know what's going on or you just hate it. Um, 
it takes me sometimes three or four attempts before I finally go back to sleep sleep because um, it'll happen again or it'll happen again because my body's not fully come out of that you know, it's supposed to be catatonic you know why are you moving you know go back um, but the thing is now it's like with anything when I know what leads up to it and the more education I got on sleep and what is leading up to these episodes and the conditions that it's happening in, it's easier to not be in those situations. And there are some situations where I know no matter what I do, it's likely going to happen tonight. So when it happens, I don't get freaked out as much. I just wake up. I'm like, Oh, well there it went, you know, walk around the house for a little bit, calm myself down a little bit and I'm good. I'm not scared of it anymore. Um, but yeah, you, you will eventually, you can eventually go back to sleep. Some people, they, they, feel it and they just go back to sleep you know but again like i said there's a lot of folks that see things and hear things and experience you know other bodies in the room or whatever um they're i don't know what they do but <laughs> freak out yeah i would too i mean again it's freaky on its own so yeah mm -hmm. i've uh i've been fascinated with the negative side of sleep ever since watching nightmare on elm street far far too young yeah that'll do it <laughs> yeah so so i'll do uh, it even you know the positive aspects uh do yeah. interest me but i'm always about like oh so the nightmares are really terrible tell me all about them <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Ooh, yeah um so uh we've kind of let you sit over there by yourself all quiet sam i'm sorry sam dan is i, I do this it, when i'm texting you guys <laughs> I'll, I'll like have the text written out and i'm like nope nope that was that's not dan's that's that's <laughs> sam's so anyways dan you got anything uh you uh, been thinking about yeah, I've got just a couple like general sleep questions. Okay. Um, they're not too deep or any, well, one of them might be, but um, the this is just a. I've heard so many different ones. What is the the recommended amount of sleep, normal quote unquote normal sleep you should get every night? Um, six to eight hours of restorative sleep is what I would say is optimal overall. Um, and when I say restorative sleep and optimal, I'm talking about, you didn't have to take anything to go to sleep. You don't have to take something to, to wake, to be awake all day long. You know, you're doing it on your own. Um, if you can get six to eight hours of restorative sleep, you're, you're doing good for your body. Um, some, there are very few people that are like, yeah, I can get five hours. I don't need nothing, you know, but there, you know, if you're doing that without pounding, red bulls or whatever then you know great but it, most people six to eight hours now if you're not getting that it doesn't mean that's the end of end of your life you know some people try to push that it's like if you're not, not getting this this is you know bad juju right um but but lack of restorative sleep does affect everything in you it really does um you know when you're not getting those deep sleep hours there's a lot of things that are not happening for you that could be happening for you your immune system building up, your body's getting repair. Um, I talk about this uh, a lot with with people who, who like sports, who like NBA. Um, if you watch, just look up LeBron James and sleep. You know, people can love, hate him, whatever, think he's the greatest, not the greatest. You know, no, he's no Jordan, whatever. All right. This guy is pushing 40 and he's still playing like he's in his 20s. And if you look up that his teammates are like he's always sleeping he's always like taking that he's not working out he's he's napping same thing with jj watt you know he talked about that during hard knocks how you know, he's like i live a very boring life you know it was i i sleep like 
eight to 12 hours a day when I can, but it's all the repair stuff that he's getting. And then, you know, those things will, you know, they're helping athletes at that level. And that's what they're doing is sleeping, you know, um, because of, of the restorative sleep you can get. So yeah, six, six to eight hours of, of restorative sleep is, is optimal. Right on. Um, two more quick ones. Um, mm-hmm. is there such a thing as too much sleep? Like sometimes, for example, hypersomnia. Well, yeah, I guess, but like mm-hmm. sometimes I know like if I sleep more than I do, like say on, on the, I work Monday through Friday. So on like yeah. Saturday, if I get to sleep in longer yeah. than I would like during the week, sometimes yeah. I feel like super tired, more tired when I wake up and I yeah. always joke like, oh yeah, I slept too long. Like I, you know, I feel yeah. more tired now. Is that like a real thing? And yeah, that is a real thing. Okay. That is a real thing. It can, it can happen. Um, you know, it, it definitely can happen. Uh, cause like your body has its own cycles. It's, it's trying to eat, you know, at certain points, it's right. trying to feed itself. It's trying to repair. It needs circulation, which you're not going to get when you're laying down. And so if you're laying down too long, like it starts to impact those things. So you might finally get up, but then just like, you got no legs, you know, you're not feeling anything. Um, but it's also worth looking into whatever nutrition you're getting too. Um, because some people like they work jobs where it's like, it's killer all week long. And so, yeah, Saturday comes, I'm going to lay down for 12 hours, but they get up fine because they're also supporting themselves with nutrition. You know, they're, they're, they got right. good circulation going on. So that's, that's something to consider. Okay. And last, my last question, sometimes like when now I was blessed with the gift of falling asleep, basically standing up. Um, <laughs> So I could, I literally, I could fall asleep. I could fall asleep right now, but I'm not going yeah. to, but, um, not because this is boring. It's just cause that's how I am. I could sit here and <laughs> fall asleep, but he's lying. Um, he's, lying. he's bored. To no, tears. shut your mouth. No, <laughs> this is good. This is good stuff. Um, sometimes when I am sleeping, like you were saying how you got the, the cycles of sleep. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah. you'll, you'll be able to hopefully answer this, but there's sometimes where I'll be like I'll be sleeping. I sleep with a fan on in the summertime, of course, and I'll hear it. And then all of a sudden I won't hear it. And then like my whole body will just like jerk and it'll wake me up for a split second and I'll hear the fan and then I'll go right back to sleep. Yeah. Is what, what is that? Like, that's normal. It it doesn't freak me out, but like, is that your, is that your body like beginning to shut quote unquote shut down so you can go to sleep? That jerk is basically what I'm getting at. Yeah. Does that happen normally at the beginning when you're trying to go to sleep? Uh, you know you're hearing it and not hearing it or does it happen like in the middle of your sleep yeah sometimes like when i'm falling asleep i'll yeah it's like sometimes if i know this is probably bad too but i'll fall asleep with the tv on or whatever i'll hear the tv yeah and then i won't hear it because i'm i think i'm sleeping and then all of a sudden i'll hear something like an hour later and i'll shut it off later but um and then i'll go back to sleep and i'll be like what the hell how can i hear it now then not hear it and then hear it for a second and then you know is that me just waking up yeah yeah it's um you you you're likely what's happening is you're going through the cycles you know um because eventually you do get around to where um you know that that back to the first stage of sleep in the cycle you're you you can be a little sensitive so um that's why sometimes like people will will sleep fine but then they wake up in the cycle and there's a bright light that wasn't there anymore it's like no your head was turned when that light was on when you went to bed now you've rolled over, you open your eyes, and it's like, oh, God, who left that light on? You know, I'm saying with the TV, like the TV's on, and it, it, there's people you'll see them like dead out. And um, we'll hear a thing that was uh, that happened to us in, in Cali with one of my kids. We we were living maybe about 20 minutes from Napa, I think it was like 2015, and and 
you know, we had a long day. We were working, we were doing a fundraiser at church. Everybody came home. It was like 11 o'clock, you know, we're all winding down. I'm over here. Wife's over here. My daughter's reading. My son is on the couch. Um, and then an earthquake happened, like a legit, like, you know, there was a, living in California, you feel the little ones all the time. It's not a big deal. This one, like, was shaking everything. And three of us were like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? It's like, I think it's an earthquake and everything. Son was dead out. Didn't feel a thing. He he didn't. Yeah, he was done. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> he had hit that stage because he had such a good time, you know, and he was just dead out. And he was like, what, what happened? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he didn't feel any of that, you know? So, you know, and I was, like, in the early stages of sleep at that point. So, yeah, we, we felt it all. But, yeah. Yeah, literally slept through an earthquake. Yeah, Yeah. he literally slept through an earthquake. Yep. (laughs) Okay, so uh, we are down here to the end. We only have one more real thing we have to get to, but there's one more thing I have as well. I saw Guns N' Roses yesterday, so music is heavy on my mind right now. Oh, yeah. And I was just curious. uh, You're on a desert island, and you can only listen to one band until you starve to death (laughs) or you're rescued. Who's it going to be? Yeah. Can you read the shirt? Oh, nice. I'm a big Prince fan. So, yeah, Prince and all the Prince related bands can happily be there. So, yeah, so, yeah, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to complain about that. That's (laughs) I love me some Prince. He's, I loved him ever since he did the soundtrack to uh, the first Batman movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very mixed for people. They were like, the hell? And then other people were like, this is amazing. Yeah, I mean, that just showed him, like, to me, it showed, like, okay, this guy, like, he can do anything. Like yeah, he's not just oh, a yeah. pop guy that my mom listens to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, good stuff. And I was fortunate like to too. I mean, like really, really good. Yeah, I, I was fortunate to see him. I say three times. It was more like two and a half, but really three because one show was so far away, and this is you know back before GPS and all stuff, and I had to drive like four hours in the dark. I've I'm finally get there, and I get in parked right in time for the encore, but the encore was like an hour. So it was like being at the show. Hell yeah. And then two weeks later, my friend's like, yeah, I heard you messed up on that one. I was like, I didn't know how far I was being. So they got me tickets for the next one that was much closer. So we got to see the whole thing. And then I saw oh, again, and I've, cool. seen, I've seen Sheila E. I've seen The Time. So I've had some really good, a lot of good musical experiences. Um, but yeah, that, yeah. That's it's, awesome. Was yeah. Morris Day there? I saw Morris Day in The Time uh, when I was in Charleston um and it was a small venue so it was like i didn't get front row seats but i might as well have had front row seats because it was it was yeah it was right there. yeah so it was great seeing him and jerome do the whole mirror thing it was right. amazing so yeah cool cool yeah. cool all right so yeah like i said that's just something i had on my mind yeah but as we do around these parts we always close out each episode with an all original uh Fuck, I don't remember. <laughs> I, and we we close them out with a, an original dad joke. Dan writes these dad jokes, and if you've heard it somewhere before, there's there's a leak in the sieve. Uh, there's, these are getting out. I don't know how, but there's all these other people on Instagram and and, and TikTok. They're they're stealing our dad jokes and they're getting just buku views. Yeah. So from the source, the dad joke champion, by the way, I don't know if you I forgot my I forgot my bell. Okay, I I only remember that because it's the last episode I edited. But the dad joke champion right here is going to come and close (laughs) us out with another wonderful all original written only by him dad joke. So give it to us, Dan. That's right. All right. What did the golf ball say to the golf club? What? Anybody? I don't know.
Nope. You drive me crazy. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, we just we dove right into the daddy juice oh with that gosh. one. That yeah. was just a pool, pool of daddy juice, and we yeah. are covered in daddy juice. Yeah, you drive me crazy. You drive me. Uh, crazy. You know what, Dan? I feel like you did write that one. Yeah, probably did. Was, I'm not gonna say that's good or bad. I'm just gonna say, you know what? That might be original. I don't care. It's a dad joke. It counts. <laughs> and 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 I appreciate you. I appreciate you bringing that here and and sending us off on a happy note. No matter how deep and, and serious and sad the conversation gets we always try to leave on a light note so thanks for that and uh you know <laughs> sam and dan both i appreciate you guys uh, making it thanks for looking a little bit grim there at one point today so thanks for making the time and uh paul thank you as well you've been great uh basically thank you. just had to shut up and it's you... been fun yeah thank you thank you for saying that uh yeah. <laughs> and i see that uh once again you can catch him at sleepyoudeserve.com uh, he's mm-hmm. got that uh, podcast, The Why mm-hmm. uh, Behind Your Z's. I'll be mm-hmm. checking that out. I'm a podcast guy myself. So, awesome. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll definitely give you a follow there. Yeah. And uh, just like I was going to say, thank you so much for finding the time and uh, sharing yeah, your this wisdom. This is great. Yeah, it's, this is uh, great. It's great to have a guest that, you know, like I said, I can just shut up and let you, uh, you know, pour out all the knowledge and, <laughs> uh, and you know, make us look good. So, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, uh, you know, there's, as always so much more that we probably could have got into so maybe down the line you can come back on we'll talk again you yeah. are an awesome guy so it's Thanks. nothing to uh you know to chat with you for an hour and a half or so yeah i would love i would love to come back and talk uh i don't know how how much of your audience is veterans or military folks but you know i would love to i'm almost at that point where i can really really communicate what i want to communicate about sleep and the military and and some of the struggles that we have when we while we're in and when we get out um so yeah, I would love to talk about that with folks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that we have a heavy, you know, a heavy male influence and mm-hmm. we have begun to gather up a, a small but growing veteran audience. Okay. I'm thinking that, yeah. uh, you know, I'm always very pessimistic about these things, just the podcast <laughs> in general and its growth overall. So I'm, I'm you know, going to go on, on a limb and say that our veteran uh, demographic will probably grow after this, you know, a couple of these drop. Because I'm hashtagging, you know, for all the uh, pertinent uh, topics, you know, veterans, army, marine, air force, whatever the case may be. So fingers crossed on that. Hopefully we've started getting some guests that want to come on. I'm hoping that, you know, there'll be some veteran guests that might want to come on uh, and and fill out our our sparse uh, ranks, so to speak, for this uh, current series. (laughs) So uh, with that being said, uh, I guess, you know, once again, uh, thanks everybody. And uh, for Dan and Sam, this is Corey and, uh, your two dads, we will check you guys later. Right. Check you later. Check you later. I want you to know it's over. Well. Bye. You smell that, Bill? Smells like someone died.